Hi, this is Officer uh, Juan Contero with the G. Robert Cotton Correctional Facility. I work in the Arsenal Annex. Today we are doing a Veterans Benefit Cookout, which contributes to packages going overseas to our troops that are deployed. And I'd like to give a big shout out to every veteran with the Michigan Department of Corrections here in Michigan. Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to a new episode of Field Days, an award-winning podcast about news and hot topics related to the Michigan Department of Corrections. Here are your almost witty hosts, Chris Gouts and Greg Straub. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Field Days Podcast. I'm Greg Straub, joined as always by the Department of Spokesperson Chris Scouts. Chris, you know, last week we had a podcast on about dogs, veterans, and we were at Lapeer. And it just so happens that we are back this week uh, at TCF. They have a really, really great program and it's making a huge difference. The numbers are looking really, really good. And that's the education program there. And... Um, I'm excited to have a couple education people on to talk about it. Yeah, it's always good when we get out to facilities and, and meet staff. And, and that's the whole point of this podcast when, when you guys started it years ago before we fired Noah. <laughs> was the, the whole idea was that we're a big department. We've got 13,000 employees and 105 field offices and 30 prisons. And there's great ideas at all those places. But because of our size, those people are never going to meet each other. Right. And so doing this is a great way to share an idea and then spread it around hopefully to other facilities. So exactly serving the purpose of why you guys started this. Yeah. And we have two awesome employees today. And uh, one of those is a teacher here. And that's Debbie Laidler. Thank you for coming on Field Days. We appreciate it. Sure. And we have Jim Gornick, who's a principal here. And we appreciate you also coming on. Not my pleasure. Um, I guess Debbie or Jim, doesn't matter who starts, kind of talk about how long you've been with the department, kind of what you've been doing throughout the years here. Well, I've only been here for about four and a half years, okay. right? And I started out as a special education teacher, and I still am. Okay. Jim? I started uh, actually as an officer in the 80s oh. and uh, started in Jackson. And um, I finished my degree at Michigan State, uh, my teaching degree, and and went on to um, work in uh, training for a while for the department. And then I was a GED teacher at uh, the old North Side in uh, Jackson, Eggler Correctional Facility now. And then I uh, promoted to principal in, in 2000. So I've been a principal ever since. Oh, that's, that's, um, that's interesting. I didn't know you were an officer. That's cool. That's, that's good to know. So I guess, Debbie, what... Uh brought you to corrections and, and teaching in corrections? Um, mainly my frustration with public education. Okay. I wasn't feeling like I was making a difference. Like I, I want to feel like I'm doing something. Right. And so I thought the prison population, you know, let's, let's see if I can find that, that bubble of teaching again, you okay. know, that spirit that, that drives teachers for the most part. Please answer honestly. And when you get here, when you got here for, Five years ago, where mm-hmm. did, did you did you get that sense? I did. When students get their GED, it's like the first success they have ever had in their lives. Yeah, you know, That's... it's like their whole time they drop out of school. They're 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 just not going anywhere, and they end up here, and they still think their life isn't going anywhere. And then they get a GED, and it's it it just makes it all worth it. Yeah, no, that's that's cool. And you guys are, you guys are kind of unique here too because you have a lot of the youthful offenders too, correct? Yes. Okay. So I guess let's talk about, I know you guys changed some things up recently and the results you're seeing are, are really, really good. So let's talk about some of those changes. What, what, what were you doing previous in previous years? And I, I guess some facilities still are doing this model. What did that classroom look like before you made the changes? When I started teaching, uh, it was always easiest for to be in your classroom and to have 
the, the, whether it's the principal or the secretary just give you students. So you'd always have your minimum amount of students in your classroom and each student that you received uh, needed uh, various uh, parts of the GED. They, they're at various levels. So the challenge always when I was in the classroom was that uh, you are working with students at, uh, at every level needing every subject and it was our responsibility to try to get GEDs out of that, that group. And we had some, some success with that, but um, it made it challenging. As you're working with one or two students, you have 13 or 14 or 15 others that are either need your time or they're being distracted by other things. So that was always a challenge for myself and my colleagues. And, and uh, once I picked a principal, it, it became clear to me that uh, it was a challenge for other, other yeah. teachers as well. With that was the, the start of that evolution of, uh, of making some changes and yeah. seeing what we can do about trying to engage the students in a better way. It sounds to me like you're teaching all the, the, all gamut, of, all, all, right, all, the gamut of all of them. And, and did you have different levels of, of students in your class, some, some high learners, some lower learners? Um, so it's kind of a mishmash of everything, right? So it sounds like... Oh, exactly. Okay. You would be working with a student working towards getting his GED in math, for instance, doing some geometry or algebra. Yeah. And right next to him, you have a guy working on phonics. Jumping right next to you know, social studies and phonics. Right. So that, okay. that, that was a challenge. And sure. you utilized your tutors as best you could to help bring those students engaged. Um, but, uh, but it was always uh, difficult. Just to add, I think it was really hard for the teachers. I know when I started, I came from high school and I was good in the social studies and RLA give me math and science curriculum I had to go figure out what are Punnett squares again and how do I find slope rise over run what does that mean and I have to now teach that to them so it was hard to bring in all those subjects talking with the math teacher before the podcast started and Joelle and I were listening to her talk about what she's teaching and Geez, I don't even know what any of that means anymore. So <laughs> I can imagine trying to now teach that. After, right. You know, I'm a college educated person. It's like, Jesus. Yeah. yeah it's very and, trying, and trying to teach it to different groups right. at different levels. Like, right. you know, one's working on fractions. This one's, you know, we're doing quadratics. I, okay, hold on. Let me look that up. Right. Uh, you know, I'm checking the answers as we go. And eventually you pick it up and you get better at it. But it, it was a challenge just jumping in like that and... So, so, so talk to us about what it's like now and, and what the system is that you created uh, here, how it's different from the one-room schoolhouse that you kind of had before. I really wanted to tap into my teacher's expertise and their interest in the particular subject matters. There's four, there happens to be four parts of the GED. So early on in this transition, I, I met with this, uh, all the staff and I said, okay, give me your first and second choice uh, subject that you would prefer to teach. And we looked at that and broke it up. They worked out nicely in terms of having some math, good, solid math teachers that were actually interested in teaching math. I had a reading teacher that, that was specialized in that and science. And, and uh, Deb, of course, was, uh, was really good at social studies. So it worked out nicely for us to be able to break the content up and, uh, and then start the process of, of finding out where the needs were for the students. And that's how we started uh, the, the, the classes by having a first hour math class and a and a uh, second hour social studies and reading RLA class and so on. So it worked out nicely. Um, it just took a little while for the students to get used to that transition. And then you said you've seen some some good results in terms of the numbers, but how how soon did you know that this was working? I mean, was it the feedback you were getting from the teachers or from the students, or was there some sort of metric or just feeling that you saw that we've well, stumbled onto something pretty good here? Good question. Early on, I had uh, students that were stopping me in the hallway. 
I had tutors that had had worked in classrooms for a long time and the old way and then and writing me kites and telling me that they can't believe the difference in the the behavior in the in the classrooms and how how much uh, more motivation that these students are demonstrating so they, from the, when you hear from the prisoners that this is a positive thing when even though it's a lot more work for them that was it was a good sign early on what was it like in the classroom uh, going from that where you're not having to teach math anymore so you right. like you like that right it was it was great it was good because i could just focus on on one subject it, that's all I had to worry about. I didn't have to worry about trying to figure out the math or the science. I could just focus on one subject. We use the Kaplan books kind of as a guideline to make sure we're hitting all the stuff that we should be hitting for the GED. It was it was just so much easier. The students came in, they sat down, they all faced the board, you know, just like real world school. And it was great. And it seems like it's, I mean, it's, it's a big leap from what we were doing before, but it seems weird that we ever had that old system right. begin with because we all came from the public school system or, or private school, whatever, right. but they're all, you had an English teacher, a math teacher, but then to come and have this system where you just throw it all back together again, it seems like we're breaking new ground, but really we're just doing what you did on the outside. When you were a right. teacher, you taught one subject. As, you're, as you've done this and you've talked with Heather Gay, our education manager, about this and she's seen the results, are we spreading this out statewide or are you going and talking to others about are you getting calls from other principals saying, how can I do this, or what's the... <laughs> I am. I am, as a matter of fact. Yes, um, Heather Gay is, uh, has been talking to the principals during our meetings and encouraging them to adopt some of the, the concepts that we've gone through here. And, and, um, and we've had some of the principals bring their staffs here to just observe and shadow my teachers and, uh, and just to talk through. So, because we, we went through the growing pains of making that transition. So it, it should be much easier for other schools to adopt it uh, if they, if they so choose. And well, just like your, your current warden, you're also overseeing operations at Macomb. Are, are they doing it there yet? Or are you trying to push it there? They actually are. I've been there almost a year and we, we transitioned, uh, in fact, the October 1st was the, the, uh, first day of the new way of doing it there. And my teachers again are, they, they missed the, the teaching part, um, aspects. You know, they all went through, as I say, we all went to teacher school at, at one point in our, in our careers. This gets you back into actually being the face of the class and being in front and driving the instruction. Where, where, where's the resistance to do something like this? I mean, you, you've, you know, you've taught and you said it was, it was, it was tough, you know, to have different subjects of people just sitting around different tables. You're doing math, you're doing social studies, you're doing language reading. So now it's more of a, um, a regular school room. What, where, where would the resistance come from? I'm just curious. It sounds like it makes sense. I think there's more structural differences. Like we have a lot of the youth and we have all the height of population. The majority of our students are going to be the younger guys. Right. And we're all a level two, except for some of our youth. They're level four. Where other facilities have, you know, level one, yeah, level two, level, level four. How do you make that work? And I think they run into some of those problems. They also don't have as large of a staff as we do. Yeah, know? I think that really so, helps to having yeah having the number of teachers and then also having them have the specialties in those areas. And that, that would probably where it might fall down if you had a whole four teachers that were all great at science and nobody that knew anything about math. And then having to <laughs> stick that person teaching math that would be difficult. So maybe when you're hiring your teachers, are you are you having to think about what specialties yeah, they exactly. have? And, We're sure, I'm, you know, I never had to think about that in the past. But we do now. We have a vacancy. We look and see what uh, what types of uh, what their major and minor was, and uh, what population they worked with in the public schools, and make some determinations that way. 
So I'm sure the, the, the students like the structure uh, a lot more. I can't imagine that they don't. I mean, are you seeing better behavior, better engagement with the students doing this model? Yes, definitely. Definitely. Okay. When we're all working on the same topic, it's just that much easier. Right. Um, and a lot of times, you know, they'll bring up questions. And sometimes we go off the topic a little bit, but they're still learning something. And the whole class can be involved in that because we're all working on the same topic. You know? and, you're, so, and you're putting the level... Correct. So okay. we split it up. We have what we call a pre-GED class. So the pre-GED students are, are lower, maybe non-readers. And a lot of what we work on with them is just the basic GED skills. Like, all right, when you go to take the GED, you need to read this. And if there's words that you don't know or anything like that, that's more of our pre-class. And then once it looks like they may have the skills, we'll move them into a GED level. The GED level covers test-taking tips, covers all the curriculum, but we go at a much faster pace because our goal there is you guys need to learn it. Let's get on the test. Let's pass it. Let's move on to the next subject. So they go a lot faster in the GED track. We also have a fast-track class. That's my nice question. Good. Thanks for bringing that up. Yes. Yeah. So with students that do really well on the TAVE scores that are scoring like 11th grade reading on a level D, we don't want to slow them down. So we have a fast track class. They kind of go at their own pace. That's set up a little bit more like the old style, but these are independent learners. They don't need a teacher constantly right there by their side to help encourage them or to go over answers with them. And previously, those people would have been just in a class with everybody else, correct? Yes. Yes, they would have been with our non-readers and our fast track and then our regular GED track and all doing all four subjects. Really, I mean, they don't really need to be there. So they're actually taking a spot up from somebody else who really needs to be there, right? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And our fast track guys, they, they go through so quickly. We're, we've always got spots open. You know, this guy's going to finish this test and then we'll have another spot open. Let's get another guy because they're working at their own pace as opposed to the whole class instruction that we do at the GED level where we're just kind of trying to get through the content and right. testing them throughout. or And that also makes it different as far as how we assess whether or not they're class ready. You know, the old way was, okay, yep, your scores look good. You seem to understand what you're doing. Let's put you on a test. Where in class, if they're participating, they're giving answers, their bookwork might, you know, look good. But if they're grasping and participating, you get a lot more out of the student that tells you they are test ready. So there's, there's a lot more to look at, I think, in the direct instruction model than just test scores and how they did on their papers. And the way you're showing your success is in two ways, right? You're, you're looking at the number of GED completions, but also their progression. There's a couple of ways to figure out if, if you're doing it right. Right, exactly. We know that there are some students that won't, will not get their GED. They either don't have enough time to do or they're, they're at a low enough level where they're, they're especially they have they have some deficits, uh, but it's our responsibility to improve their reading language and math scores to the highest level we can before they leave. And we're honest with them. Uh, we, we encourage them as much as we can. And but sometimes my teachers have to have that that courage conversation with prisoners and say you you just uh, aren't a GD uh, material. But we're going to keep working with you and uh, and to try to improve those scores. Uh, because you said that before we started taping, you were, I love what you said. There, there are going to be some people who just aren't going to get their GED. Um, that's just reality. But you said that there's still benefit to it. We're giving them some life skills. We're teaching them the basic skills of life so they can get by on their own, right? If you can talk a little bit about that. Right. We, we have a curriculum that, that uh, is called Philip Roy, and it's mostly life skills. It's survival-type skills for this population. 
we work on driver's test. So we'll have the book available to them and we'll go through all those concepts because many of them don't have a driver's license and never, and never receive that. Looking at um, all the road signs, looking at just the whole money management, what it means to have a checking account and a savings account, what that process looks like. We actually have checks that we, um, that we print off and let them look at and fill out to understand and keep a ledger. So all those skills that many of us take for granted that they have never been exposed to, we uh, try our best to try to, to uh, prepare them for what they're going to face when they're released. You know, Debbie and Jim, I, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your day-to-day to kind of explain your education piece of the puzzle here um, at Lapeer. And, it, you know, you guys are doing an amazing job. It sounds like you guys are definitely you're onto something here with, with the results you're seeing, with the engagement of the teachers, with the engagement of the students. You know, I, I can't thank you enough for what you do every single day and, and helping people when they leave here become more successful or, you know, or, or at least have a chance at that success. And uh, you know, we really appreciate what you guys do. And thanks for coming up the old days and talking about it. Thank you. My pleasure. You know, Chris, it's always interesting to me to come, you know, into CFA, having worked in FOA and kind of see the operations. And to me, I always thought that when you talk education in prisons, that uh, it kind of was run like a, a typical public school. And it was fascinating to me to, to know that it wasn't. It was kind of like a one-room schoolhouse kind of, I don't know what you would call it, study hall kind of thing. And talking with Debbie and Jim and seeing what they're doing around education and, and kind of the model they want to roll out across all of the prisons, I think is, is really, will, have, will make a difference, have an impact on the success of uh, people getting, getting their education while they're in prison. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I learned a lot. And I was really interested in, in just listening to this and, and the passion, you know, that, that he has for, for this model and creating it and going statewide. And I, I talked to Heather Gay, who runs our education department, and she was the one who had, had recommended this because um, she was so interested in, in, in what they were doing. And so she brought me some stats as well. And so um, over a year at, at TCF, uh, 115 students uh, increased their grade levels through this teaching method. Uh, 101 students passed their GED test, and 421 subtests were also passed. So, I mean, they're having really great results uh, by doing it this way. It just makes sense. It, like you said, it's crazy that it, we weren't doing that before, but uh, this is what's so great about our staff and our employees, that they saw a problem and took it upon themselves to find a way to fix it. it didn't just complain about the problem. They came to, to the table with a solution. It made it work, uh, and now we're going to go ahead and try to take this statewide, and it's going to help a lot of people. Uh, and it's going to make the teachers' lives, I think, easier uh, and less stressful. Um, being able to do more of what they probably came to prison to yeah, want to do. more impactful, right? Yeah. It's more impactful for them. And it's going to help the, the individuals uh, who are getting these tests uh, and be able to get their GEDs, have that sense of pride, be able to have graduations, have their families come and see them graduate, um, which they probably have never seen before. And so that's going to be great for them. Uh, and then they're going to be able to move into vocational training, post-secondary education, uh, and really help enhance their lives. And so this is going to put them on a, a much faster track to, to getting through those education levels and then get out uh, and hopefully find a good job or continue their education uh, once they're paroled. So really, really great program. And I was really happy to uh, be able to shine a light on it. So, you know, huge shout out again. Um, last week was Veterans Day. And I know uh, the department did quite a bit around Veterans Day. Congrats and thank you and everything else that comes in between there um, to everyone who, who did serve and is serving uh, in the military. You know, I, I saw on social media last week quite a bit of celebrations going on, going on across the state in both CFA and FOA. And, you know, I got to say, Chris, it, and, I, and I give you zero credit for this. I give it all to of your course. staff because you don't really do much. Um, your staff do a lot. No matter if you're CFA or, F- or FOA, there are quite a, a lot of people who are promoting the heck out of their 
their staff and their facilities, their offices um, on social media. And uh, I just want to give a huge kudos and shout out to um, all of them for doing that because, you know, I know that uh, Lieutenant Levins sent in a, a nice email. I think it was last week from, I'm not going to say who he got it from, but he got it from, got it from a person who said, you know what, it's really awesome when I get on social media and I see all the promotion and the great things that um, your staff are promoting because it's cool to see um, staff get some kudos and some, and some accolades for the, the great work that they do every day. So um, it's being recognized. It's funny that Levin's great friend of the pod um, sent that in. And I, I just want to say thank you to everybody out there who is doing that because it does, it, it does show um, not only our staff, but it shows the public uh, in general the side of corrections that we don't normally get to see. So um, with all that said, there, there was some great stuff on Veterans Days, and I know, and I know the director did quite a bit uh, around here in Lansing for those veterans that work for us, right? Yeah, absolutely. They, she had a, a luncheon uh, for some staff uh, from around the state and, and from central office who, who are veterans uh, or still serving. And so that was great. You know, ever since she's come on board as director, she's really made veterans a uh, real focus and done, doing a lot of things. Like I said, she hand signs uh, cards to all 2,000 plus veterans uh, throughout our department. Uh, she's been working on those for the last couple months. Every time I'd go into her office, she's been signing those cards. All sorts of things, you know, the, the, we had a whole epic team uh, that, that worked on finding ways to celebrate our veterans and are currently serving uh, with the, the portfolios that we give them and the coins and, and all the things, and all the staff that have parties around the state. It's so, so cool uh, to see. And you're right, I, you notice I didn't correct you when I said that my staff... Uh, do a really awesome job. Well, how could job. you have? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was all true. All things said that were true. Uh, but it is being noticed, too. You know, I was at an event uh, this past weekend uh, with a bunch of uh, journalists and, and PR folks from around the state. And several of them came up to me uh, throughout the evening and commented how much they've seen positive things about the department, um, whether it's in the news or on social media. Uh, and it's exactly for, for what you said. And so they were really, because they're, they're always used to seeing negative things about the department um, in the media, in, in, uh, in the newspapers. Uh, but they were really noticing a, a more of a balance um, because of some of the stuff that we've been able to do. So, so great. For, and Veterans Day is a great example of that. Another example of that was the really, really great series that Stateside did from, from Michigan Radio. We had them in, what, a month or so ago uh, at the Lakeland Correctional Facility. Uh, and they spent the day with uh, their microphones and kind of they just fanned out across the, the campus of, of that facility, talked to staff, talked to prisoners, uh, talked to people that they brought in from the outside. We did a, a live kind of radio show inside one of the day rooms. First time we've ever done a, a radio show inside of prison before. So so it was a little nerve-wracking, maybe for the, especially the facility set, maybe a lot nerve-wracking. But it turned out incredibly well. We couldn't be more proud of, of that partnership with Michigan Radio to, to put that all together. And if you've not heard it, I would really encourage you to go online. We've been sharing stories from it all the last week or two. So hopefully you've seen the links. Uh, but it's called Life on the Inside. And I would urge you to, if you have not seen it, either to go on social media or to Google that uh, stateside radio Department of Corrections, Life on the Inside, you'll see it. There's beautiful photos, beautiful videos, uh, and a series of, of audio stories, including an interview with Director Washington, um, but also interviews with the warden, uh, some of the staff, some of the prisoners um, that are in, in various programs and things like that. A great one on the food technology program, and one on some of the dog training programs. Uh, just really, really great positive stuff. So it's really great and important, I think, for the public to see what an outstanding job our staff do every day. It's something that people don't typically hear about. It was a lot of work, uh, but it was it turned out so incredibly well. So I really encourage everybody to go out and not only to listen to it, but also to share it with your family and friends as well so we can spread you know, what our staff do every day. It, it is important. I, I, I totally agree with you to share the, the great things uh, our staff do. 
they, they do an amazing job every day and it's a it's a very difficult tough job and huge thank you to every one of them out there who who make a difference anything else chris what else, what else you got is that i think that i think we've covered just about everything so i think maybe we should probably wrap it up okay well make sure you tune in next week for a new episode of field days podcast all right as always thank you for listening we'd love it if you would help us spread the word about the podcast you can do that by subscribing to the show on itunes and leave us a review you can always follow the department on facebook at mi corrections and on twitter at michigan doc as well as the foa account at mdoc foa and the CFA account, at MDOC CFA. And you can send any questions you have to the show using the hashtag AskFieldDays. Until next time, thanks for tuning in to Field Days Podcast.